Rocks. So many rocks. A Pulp MX Network production. This is the Rocky Mountain ATV MC Kiefer Tested Podcast. The podcast you come to for the straight insight on all things motocentric. Hard parts, bikes, gear, suspension, motor mods, and more. It's Kiefer Tested. Here he is, Chris Kiefer. Hey everybody, how's it going? Thank you for downloading this episode and thank you for joining me on this very special RockyMountainATVMC.com Kiefer Tested Podcast presented by Fly Racing and Racetech. RockyMountainATVMC.com is the trusted online source for parts, accessories, gear for dirt bikes, side-by-sides, ATVs, and street bikes. Low prices, unparalleled customer service, free three-day shipping, over 75 bucks. It's so easy to see why RockyMountainATVMC.com is the premier shopping destination for all of us out there. Thank you, Rocky Mountain. Of course, the guys over at Fly Racing, FlyRacing.com, has a new set of light hydrogen coming out for the Monster Energy Cup this weekend. And I can't indulge in the colorway, but I am so stoked. I think I get my sets of gear Wednesday. So Friday, the embargo is lifted on the gear, so go check it out Friday, flyracing.com. Go get yourself a set, look cool, be best dressed, be badass, do all those things. And if you guys are looking for more than just gear, Fly Racing has it. So go check out the website, hang out, just browse around, enjoy your life. Fly Racing has you covered. Race tech, a lot of race tech guys out there. This weekend that I saw suspension services, engine services, they do it all. Email me, chris at keyforinktesting.com, and I can get you a discount code on anything that Racetech offers, and that is a lot. They pretty much cover your whole bike. Even if you're looking for springs, you just want some springs, they got it. I had a guy email me last week, says, hey, I need some springs, and I knew right where to send them, Racetech. Racetech.com, go check them out. Last but not least, Pro Taper. I've been running Pro Tapers for a long, long time. You guys want the most flex, the most strength out of your handlebars? Hmm? Go to ProTaper.com. Check out the bends. If you guys are worried about bends and what to run on your bike, go to KeyforInkTesting.com. I have a whole article about handlebar bends and what bike, what bend is best for those bikes. So go check it out. Lots of knowledge over at KeyforInkTesting.com. Do not email me questions that are up on keyforinktesting.com. You guys are just lazy out there. Some of these guys, hey, can I get this? Dude, it's on the website. Just go check it out. It's all there for you. So thank you to my advertisers. Please support these people. They keep this podcast up and moving along. They keep the lights on in here. They keep the microphones working. If you hear advertisers on this podcast, it's good. I've been offered before. Some money, hey, we want to advertise in your podcast. I basically turn them down politely and say, no, thank you, because I just don't believe in your product. So the people that are on this podcast, I believe in the products. They're good. If you have any questions about them, you can always hit me up on my email. I'm happy to answer them to guide you in the right direction. That's why we do this damn podcast. That's why we have Kiefer Inc. So any questions, I'm here for you guys. All right, so Monday morning, I just race a national hare and hound, and this is what this podcast is all about. 
There's going to be a lot of things going on in this podcast, okay? So I originally had National Heron Hound Association advertise on this podcast, as you guys can remember, and I promised in that package that I would go race a National Heron Hound. Well, that time came. My card was up. And, of course, I picked the last one. I just milked it along through the whole year. I was busy, but I was like, man, I got to do it. I got to, you know, I'm a man of my word. I got to race this race. So uh, I decided to go race the Checkers MC National Heron Hound. I was out in Lucerne Valley yesterday. And holy crap, it was it was tough but fun. In conjunction with that, I feel like I needed to test something. So I've been bugging Johnny Campbell from JCR Honda. And I wanted to test his bike. So Ricky Brabeck is a former National Heron Hound champion. He's busy with rally stuff right now. So his bike was available. So I go, this would be a great test. So we're going to talk about Ricky's bike. We're going to talk about what it's like to race a National Heron Hound. Johnny Campbell is going to talk to you about the bike and the evolution of the CRF 450X. That's a great interview, by the way. So stay tuned for that. Um, And, of course, we're going to have Mark Correa on here as well. If you guys don't know who Mark Correa is, he has been a staple in our industry for a very long time. He has shot photos, worked for magazines, has seen a lot. Basically anything off-road related, Cato has shot it. So lots of things going on in this podcast, but it's been very fun to do. It's not something I normally do. I'm a mostly a moto head guy, as you guys know, but I come from an off-road background. So real quick, I grew up, my dad raced Barstow to Vegas. Of course, I lived in Asperia. On the weekends, our family went out camping. We just hung out over the weekend. We rode dirt bikes. My mom had an old Honda Odyssey because my mom had multiple sclerosis, so she couldn't walk, so we'd set her in this Odyssey, and she'd go cruise around with us. That was my memory of uh, me growing up, is being out in the desert and hanging out with my family. So that evolved, of course. I saw my dad race desert racing. He would go out to District 37 races and race and Barstow to Vegas, and I wanted to be a desert racer. That's what I wanted to be. When I was maybe a little bit younger than my son Aiden, my son Aiden's 13, so maybe 9 through 14, I just wanted to be Danny Hamill. I wanted to be Dan Smith. My dad worked his ass off to buy an ATK 560, a 1985 ATK 560. Horse Lettner, obviously is the maker of ATK back then and the owner, the founder. That was my dad's crown jewel. He has never bought a a new bike back in the day. I just vividly remember being a young kid, my dad having that bike in the back of his truck, and he was so proud of it because uh, it was a unique bike. It was American-made, and his hero, Chris Crandall, which was an off-road guy back in the day that won Barstow to Vegas on ATK, my famous, my famous line to my dad, I always tell him, I always remember you saying one word. And this is what the word he used all the time. He used the word bitchin'. Everything was bitchin'. The bike's bitchin'. Look at the frame. It's bitchin'. Look at my seat cover. It's bitchin'. That's what he used to tell me all the time. My bike is bitchin'. So, uh, so yeah, so I started out riding hare and hounds, hare scrambles, European scrambles out in the desert or in my early teens. And that evolved. I was always on a 125 two-stroke. I used to battle with... Guys like Dana Van Steed, Jeff Capt, Johnny Brash, uh, even my uh, colleague over at Honda, Jason Ingersoll. He was good on a Honda 125. I was basically a 125 kid out in the desert. That's basically what I rode. 
And even when I got older, I used to ride the Kurt Caselli a lot. I always just wanted to ride 125 because I felt like I didn't want to go that fast out in the desert. I didn't want to go 90 miles an hour like those guys do. It's insane how fast those guys go. And I just, quite frankly, I was like, man, 125 is fast enough for me. So that's all I ever really rode. Well, now fast forward to I'm getting older, obviously 42 years old now. And I'm like, man, I haven't raced a desert race in a long time. I'm still a fan of the sport. Obviously, Gary Sutherland is a former National Hair and Hound champion. Ricky is one of my buddies. I respect the hell out of what those guys do because I know how hard it is. I know how dangerous it is. And uh, I always kept up on it. I just love off-road racing in general. I love anything two-wheel. So I wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted to get out of my comfort zone. So I made that promise to Meg and said, look, I'm going to go race one. And I bugged Johnny enough to have him, thankfully bring me Ricky Brabeck's Honda. So this podcast basically is a a walk down memory lane, uh, a a bike test, and to fill you in on what desert racing is all about. So if you guys are uh, up to that, stay tuned. This is going to be a great podcast, and uh, here we go. All right, staring into the valley of Lucerne. If you guys have never been here, it is a beautiful sight. You know what else is a beautiful sight? (laughs) (laughs) Staring at you right now. Johnny Campbell, JCR Racing. We're here in Lucerne Valley. I am very excited to ride Ricky Brabeck's 2019 CRF450X. You guys out there, you've been bugging me for off-road content. Well, I'm out here for you guys, okay? Um, I haven't raced Desert or District 37 in since 2012. I did a Red Mountain National Hare and Hound. But it's been a little bit, so uh, I bugged Johnny all year to do this. He was kind enough to uh, bring me out here, prep Ricky's bike, because Ricky's not racing today. So I'm out here. So, Johnny, thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate thanks. It. Thanks, Kiefer. It's uh, it's awesome to be here with you and, and uh, be able to host you for the weekend. And, uh, you know, there's not much better than having uh, October in the desert. Yeah, it is nice, right? You know, weather starts cooling down. You got that nice breeze, and the racing should be good. So I'm I'm really excited for you to experience the bike in yes. a race race scenario. Um, you know, we did a lot of work to the bike in the beginning of the year, and uh, we kind of stopped our forward progress a little bit because Ricky got injured mid year, right? And then we switched gears to rally. Yep. So so let, let's 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 say this: How good is Ricky at testing? Ricky's kind of finicky is he yeah he really likes he likes the bike a certain way with the ricky way yep um but generally sometimes it's great to have myself or kendall or somebody on board when we're testing just to confirm we're going in the right direction uh but ricky knows what he wants sometimes it's a little bit of a, a challenge to get to that point but we always seem to arrive in the same spot okay so we like a lot of the same settings right it's funny because i know ricky on a personal level i'm not going to say he's like he's a clumsy little fella <laughs> but when it comes to racing and stuff he's very sharp like very sharp he knows what he wants he, um i've been riding a few times out in the hills and uh the feedback that it gives me it kind of shocks me sometimes the words that he uses i'm like oh wow so you there's something in there like i know that there's some good testing brain inside of him, you know? Yeah, don't let Ricky Brabeck fool you. He He's very bright. Yes. 
and knowing what he knows and that talking about dirt bikes, yeah, you know, right. when, when he's riding in off-road setting and in a particular arena, he, he's very knowledgeable about what he's talking about and, and, uh, on the bike, the sensation on the bike, whether it's the bars or the suspension or the chassis and, you know, he, he's particular about his setup and, so he he's very confident in giving the feedback that you know we need to address things. So before we get into Ricky's bike, because we're here to talk about, I want to get in with you a little bit. You've had an injury here lately. Um, we'll, I want to talk about that. But when I think about off road racing in my youth, and I was growing up watching guys, to me, like everyone asks me, like who's the top three off road racers, and you're always in that mix for me. Because you've well, done you. so many things. Like, I remember racing against you in Grand Prix. I remember seeing you in Heron Hounds, all these multi-time Baja championships. Like, you've done it all. So, out of all those things that you've accomplished, what is the most, what's the closest one to your heart? You know, Baja's got to be the closest thing to my heart. And I have, just because Baja has a, a mystique to it, and the allure, and... You don't really understand Baja until you've gone there to experience it. Then you you get bit by the Baja bug, oh. and, and you want to go back. It's like, I hate it, but I love it. I hate it, but I love it. Right. It's high risk, but you seek that freedom that just to be able to go and make decisions and go ride wherever you want, and, you know, it's it's an amazing thing. And um, you actually have been through some shit before in Baja. I mean, not even yeah. crashes, but random things have happened to you down there, right? <laughs> yeah, they have. You know, I've been robbed at gunpoint. Right. Um, you know, like stripped down to wow. my chonies. Oh, gosh. Um, looking for money, Look, you know, and it's not something that happens all the time. But you know what? You know, Mexico is, is a place where you have to respect and you don't want to get you don't want to go to the wrong areas, but, but I say that with a regard of it's the same same thing anywhere you go in the world. I've been to a lot of places in the world, raced a lot of places. I've been in Europe, Africa, South America. You know, wherever you go, there's always places you don't really need to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not that when that happened, I wasn't in a spot that was high risk or anything, but it but it happened. I, it was a wild west, and I got robbed at gunpoint. Yep. So. Baja Championships, riding down in Baja, going that fast. Obviously, you get the pre-run. I understand that. But for the people that haven't been down there and haven't experienced it, why do you love it so much? What is the one specific thing that you can point at and be like, this is the reason why I go to Baja? The reason you go to Baja is to experience that risk, that level of, of life. You know, we live every day. We wake up. We make coffee or breakfast or whatever. We go to work. You know, you're looking at, you know, having first world problems. Oh, my cell's out or I don't, right. you know. But you don't feel very threatened. Yep. You don't feel, you're not on guard. You go do your job. You come home to your family or whatever and everything's pretty good. Yeah. Um, really good because everybody wants to come here. Yep. But you put your place in a, a place like Mexico or a third world country and you have to have a sense of awareness of where you're at and what's behind you. Um, you know, there's there's higher risks in certain areas. 
And so I think when you put yourself in those positions, you really experience more life because it's like, you know, what if you were comfortable all the time? What if you, you wouldn't know that you were actually comfortable unless you'd step out of it? Mm, yeah. And so that's, that's kind of Mexico. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, you, you have the, the free of freedoms down there, but you also have a little bit, you know what, if I get injured here, it's like, I'm a long way from nowhere. Correct. Yep. And growing up for me too. And also I, I wanted to mention, you kind of were talking about Baja and it made me think about someone and, um, Bruce Ogilvie. I was a young child. I remember my dad racing desert racing. I, my, my dad was around Roger Ashby, which helped you pit for many years down in Mexico. Yeah. Um, Bruce kind of brought you along through Honda, didn't he? For people that don't know yeah. Bruce, explain yeah. Bruce to them. Yeah, so uh, what Chris is talking about is uh, Bruce Ogilvie. Guy's a complete legend in off-road racing, especially Baja. But there's a lot of guys that have come along and been fast. They've won races down there. But what Bruce had different than everybody else was his logistics, and he was a tactician at racing, and being able to build a program not only race and win himself on the bike but also you know after his career was to be able to assemble an army of Mm -hmm. volunteers that wanted to go down and wanted to support him wanted to support honda and bruce just had this knack about him of of building relationships and friends friends that would come down and he would have this organization on basically the Bible on how to win Baja. And so I was fortunate enough to cross paths with Bruce when I was 21 years old. Wow. And I don't know what he saw in me, but you know, he kind of chose me. Wow. That's cool. And I remember some of my first, uh, experiences. Bruce was, Hey, I need to teach you about four strokes. This is like 1992. Okay, wow. So this is real early. This is like before four strokes were cool or four strokes were what they are today. It was like, we're talking archaic XR. That sound, you're like, what does that sound? Like, what is that? Yeah. And they were big, heavy trail bikes. And so I remember going to his house in Riverside and him going, okay, today we're going to, you know, split the cases on this. I'm going to teach you about a four stroke engine. I was 21 years old and, and that started my career of four-stroke racing and four-stroke knowledge and so he not only taught me like about racing or or four-stroke but he taught me how to go about off-road racing how just the how-tos I didn't know right you know I was I was a young energetic kid that had somewhat some talent or else he wouldn't have (laughs) chose me right but you know, I think he saw my work ethic was, was good. Um, you know, my parents always put a, you know, a, a pretty strong pressure on me as far as work and stuff like that. So I felt like my background was pretty good in that regard. And so Bruce, I think, saw that and he detected that. And so he kind of took me under his wing at that point. And I spent 17 years wow. under him as my mentor. Just and, soaking it all in. Until he passed away. Um in 2009 he battled cancer for two years yep so amazing man amazing race tactician and yeah and i wanted to bring him up because i feel like most of my listeners are maybe not as old 
to recognize that. And for me, desert racing, and I always talk about this in my podcast, we never get anywhere in life uh, successfully without someone's help. And I talk about this as far as my job. People are like, hey, Kiefer, how come you don't have anybody helping you? What you just said to me is so gnarly because you're 21 years old and he saw something in you. Mm. And that is so rare. Mm. And I've explained this to you with your kid, too. Like, I've worked with your kid at Honda and he's so on it. Like, his age bracket, Mm. it's very rare do you see a kid that gets it. You know, we, we get out of the van, he's helping with the easy up, he's lube and change check like he's just on it and that right there is a rare thing and i think now that i think about it he's your kid i look at you i'm 21 years old that's what bruce yeah. saw he's like man yeah. this is a rare thing i don't really see this you know so yeah. um it's crazy yeah and and yeah preston's you know he he grew up in the back of a box van <laughs> going right. to races and and seeing racers and seeing mechanics and motorcycles and so that's you know, that has been his life, and so he feels at home doing that stuff. And right. He doesn't want to do anything else other than that, and I was the exact same way. Yeah. And I've never pushed him that way. It's just that he had, was keen enough to observe all that. Yeah, he observed it, and that's what he was. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. All right, so one more question about off-road racing for you, and we'll get to the bike. When's the last time you raced a District 37 National Heron Hound? How long has it been? Man. Um, I think the last one I probably did was on a 650. Oh, way. Probably around 06. Holy crap. Yeah. Probably around 06, 07. Um, How good was that that bike? It was, it had to be around, uh, around 05, 06. Yeah. Um, the bike was great. You know, the the 650 was a big bike. Yeah. You know, it had a big motor. It was heavy. It, you know, it spawned everything we wanted from the 600. We put into the 650, but it was bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but I could tell you this. It had the best forks and the best suspension for that size of motorcycle. Man, you could ride that thing all day long. and Comfortable to ride. Comfortable. Never did anything crazy. Planted. Super planted because of the weight, but also because of the suspension. Um, you know, it had 46-millimeter conventional forks. So there was some flex going on there. Right. But it was so good and so comfy, you know. Um, that bike really took my career as I was coming up and really just pff, let me go to the next level. How many overalls have, have you got in Heron Hound? Have you got one? I've never have. I You really? know... I, I, the best in a national, I was third overall. Oh, right. And, uh, but here's the thing, people back then, deep, (laughs) gnarly, deep, Deep. like 10 to 12 dudes could probably win. There's legit fast guys. Yeah. Let's just say like Hamill, Davis, Zitterkoff. Was Dan Smith around then? Dan had retired by then. Okay. Uh, Honeycutt, uh, Honeycutt, Krause. Um, Larry Ondas Rossler you know there there was it was like the top 15 right were names yep really my goal when I was racing obviously I never rode this is my first time riding a big bike in a race in in off-road racing I always rode 125s and I remember if you got top 20 on a 125 at a national you were gnarly yeah that was gnarly yeah it was it was deep it was tough and uh 
you know, mostly back then when I was riding the 600, 628s, it was like if I could finish like sixth, that was like good. Really? You know. That's great. The other guy that was really good on the four-stroke was uh, Jeff Cap, my partner. He, he Dude, I he, used to battle Cap in 125 class all dude, the time. he was so good. Yeah. And, uh, and when he moved to the 600, you know, he actually – Cap, I got to give him a lot of credit because – when once when he came on the team, like he made he like pushed me in district, pushed me in the in the whoops and stuff, and I'm like I really didn't understand how fast to go right in the whoops like out here, uh, and he he would go really fast, and so I'd I'd be able to latch onto him and and follow him, and I'm like oh this is how fast they go. Wow. <laughs> Learn trial by and he fire. Was, yeah, he's like five five foot six. He's small guy, right? His feet were off the pegs more than they were on the pegs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about Ricky's bike, 357 out here. I'm staring at it. How much, obviously, a lot of development goes into this, isn't But what I wanted to do for you guys out there, I talked to Johnny before we started this podcast. Most, if not all, of these things that are on Ricky's bike is available to the consumer. Yeah, that's 100% correct. So, all right, break it down for me. What have you done to this bike to make it a race weapon out here in the Lucerne Valley? Well, the number one thing is with the X, you know, it's a green sticker legal bike, which is almost extinct. Yep. Um, and it was critical for Honda to always obey the federal laws and, and stuff and come out with a product that was is legal. And that's, you know, they're very conservative that way. And so that's, they built the X on that premises, you know, to take it to a competitive level, you have to do a few different things. Um, number one is, uh, the ECU. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't modify the ECU cause it's, you cannot do that, but there's companies out there now that can ex- uh, do an exchange and a modification, okay. uh, on an ECU that'll work for that. Okay. Bike, you know, um, so we were able to, to do a modification there to make it uh, race worthy. And then we put on this particular bike, we put in a uh, 450 RX cylinder head camshaft. It's ported by pro circuit. Um, we added the pro circuit exhaust system and we left the throttle body alone. It's standard. Okay. And so we went through, we did a bunch of mapping mm-hmm. on that, on that ECU. And so we got it working pretty pretty good. We're, we're pretty happy with it. Um, we added a hinch and clutch for durability. Adding the extra power, you need a little something that's going to uh, last a little longer with that amount of torque because you go from a stock level power of like 45 horsepower. This bike is over 57 horsepower. Oh, wow. You know, So it's a huge jump opening it up. We do an airbox modification. Let, a little, let some more airflow to it. Um, so that's about the gist of the performance on it. On the uh, suspension handling side, uh, we tried a lot of different linkages. You know, once once you improve the performance of, of a bike, the engine-wise, then a lot of times the stock settings and stuff uh, tend to suffer because it's Absolutely. built for a certain level Correct. of performance. So. It was necessary. We tried a lot of different linkages, but it ended up back at stock. Um, and then we we work with uh, Bones, retired from Pro Circuit, but we still work with Bones. Yeah, he can't get away. <laughs> he can't. He's a desert dog, yeah. whether he likes it or not. Yep. And 
he just loves it. So he helps us out a lot. And so we were using uh, 2019 A-Kit. Okay, so um, 49 fork? 49 fork, mm-hmm. which but the stock fork's 49 as well. Yep, correct. And it's a, it's a good quality fork. But we wanted to upgrade some performances for, for Ricky and, and the shock. So between those two things and dialing that in, that was, that was huge because you override the stock setting. Yeah, real quick. Real quick with yep. that type of power. Yep. Um, gearing is stock. Oh, um, really? Because this, with the six-speed wide ratio, it's, it's more than enough. I mean, stock in stock trim, the bike is 100 miles an hour on a paved road. Oh, wow. You know? Yep. So with this, we have plenty of speed and we didn't want to, you know, if you start messing with the final drive gearing, then you start getting more gaps, even though with this power, you can kind of tighten those gaps up Yep. and also do mapping and stuff. But where it's at now is stock gearing. Um, it's plenty enough for here. I mean, You'll find out tomorrow. Yeah. You probably won't even touch six gear here. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> want to give it away yet, but I did some some shakedown today, and I just told Johnny, I go, there's this gear I haven't used in a very long time. It's called fifth. <laughs> so I'm sure and, I'm not going to use sixth. And then I told him, it has six. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so um, any chassis-related things you guys are doing for Ricky? Yeah, you know, um, on the chassis side, we leave it pretty much stock. Um, we do... Taken, we do take and polish up like the lower triple clamp and take some of the casting ridges off just to make it a little bit, uh, take a little bit of the hit out of it. Um, the lower engine mount bolt, we actually use one out of a 450RX. Okay. And the reason we do that is the X one is a, a solid shank bolt. Mm-hmm. The RX engine mount bolt has a cut in it. So it's like a reduced size in the middle. And what we found with the increased horsepower is that it's, it's driving in the bumps a lot harder. And so we found that the chassis was a little too firm. And so just replacing that bolt takes an edge off of that hard feeling you get on the chassis. Right. So that, that was one of the single most biggest improvements we found for, for the increased performance setting. And for me, like I sat on Ricky's bike today. Obviously, I told you guys I went for a couple loops, me and my kid. For a bigger dude, his rider triangle is not that big. Like I feel like I'm pretty comfortable. I'm six foot. Obviously, he's yeah. got to be six one. Six. Yeah, he's six one. Yeah. So uh, stock seat height seems like. Do you know what handlebar bend that is by chance? Yeah, he's a nine nine six twin wall. Okay, so yeah. that's what I when I ran a twin wall, I always ran a nine nine six. So that's yeah. a lower bend. So yeah. ergonomically, Ricky has his stuff pretty nice. I like that. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Pro circuit muffler, obviously. What about brakes? How are you guys with brakes? So we've been using the uh, the Galfer uh, disc. They're a little more progressive feeling than the stock disc, and they're a little thicker, a little stronger, you know, for hits out here. So we don't increase the size because we don't want to make it more vulnerable to the rocks. Okay. So we keep it at the stock 260. It's just a little bit stronger feeling. Um, stock brake pads, stock brakes. The one thing we do do on the race bike, we use on the front brake uh, line, the tube, uh, we use the hose off of the old X. Okay. It's about two inches shorter. Hmm. And the stock hose shares, it shares the same hoses on the L, which has to clear 
some of the uh, some of the gadgets and stuff up there. So the headlight and whatever. So it's a little to me the stock tube or hose is just a little too long, and sometimes I hit my face mask on it. Okay. So we went and sourced, you know, found the old one was a, a lot better fit. So it's funny you said. So when you compress the fork, does it come back and slap yeah. you? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, it'll slap you in the chest or on the face mask. Yep. One thing I didn't want to do is face mask me. Yeah, and grab <laughs> you and pull you down. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so the old ho- old hose is a little bit tighter and just works better for racing application. Um, and use Maxxis. Yeah, we've been using Maxxis tires for the last four or five years, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I got together with those guys back when we were doing GNCC. And uh, when, when we started dabbling in the West again, I was like, hey, let's, you know, let's, let's give these things a shot. I wasn't sure how they were going to work. And actually, their SI spec tire is really durable and works quite well out here. I mean, tracking across the valleys and yep. everything. You know, so it's a good, versatile tire. Um, so we've been really happy with them. Uh, Mooses? Yeah, Moose. We work with uh, New Tech. Okay. With the, uh, um, New Tech okay. isn't the Nitro Moose thing. Yeah, the Nitro. Oh, it is Nitro yeah, Moose. Yeah, the Nitro okay. Moose. Yeah, the Nitro it's Moose. It's funny. Sorry. I told Johnny when I was riding the day, when I go trailing by my house, obviously I'm riding a motorbike. I got tubes, and I always have to like hop over rocks, or I see a sharp rock, and I'm like, ah, I'm light, real light on my pegs. Yeah, dude, I just out there, I'm plowing rocks. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> I can just don't have to worry about anything. And you have a chassis and suspension that are kind of plow soak through. it up. I'm not yeah. deflecting all over, you know. Yeah. So it is, it is nice. So, um, stronger rims, hubs, or stock hubs? Or? Yeah, we use stock hubs. Um, the rims. Uh, we use uh, the DID ASIC, uh, not ASIC, uh, STX. STX. Yep. Yeah, they're a little stronger than stock, um, so they seem to work really good for us. And IMS, how many gallon tank is that? So on this bike, we use the IMS three gallon tank. Okay. Um, that's about what we need for a heron hound, and uh, you know we'll get fifty plus miles out of it. And in a heron hound, the rule is out, the loops have to be more than forty. Two, or no, they ha- they can't be more than forty five. Sorry. Okay. And so that seems to be the right fit. We, it'd be nicer to use a little bit smaller one, but the two point four is just a little small for Heron Hound racing yep. on that one. All right. Well, there you have it. I'm going to go race this sucker tomorrow. Obviously, I'll be breaking everything down to you next week about the bike, how the event went. But I'm excited to ride this bike. I've uh, talked to Ricky about it several several times and. Something I've been wanting to do, so I really appreciate you letting me do this. It's it's kind of one of my bucket list things to do, so it's fun. <laughs> That's a cool bucket list thing. I, um, and I'm super stoked that we were, you know, we're we're available to do it because, uh, you know, when we get busy and it's, sometimes it's harder to you know add things in and yep. and uh, so it actually helped that Ricky, he just got back from Morocco, yes. so he wasn't going to ride the bike, so that helped. <laughs> I'm going to go sign up as we decided. What did we decide? Ricky Kiefer. Ricky Kiefer. That's right. So that's my weekend name today. So um, should be fun. Uh, we'll load this thing down here tonight, and we will get you all the other information up next week. So, Johnny, thank you very much. Thank and, you. And uh, hopefully maybe we go some trail riding this winter. We get some Oh, rain. man. Let's it's good it. by my house. Let's hit it. Yeah. Let's so. hit it, dude. Thanks, Johnny. Okay. See you. It's commercial time, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back for the second part of this podcast. Listen to these commercials. Discount codes. Helps you. Thanks to the guys over at 6D Helmets. That's right. They're on board with the KieferInkTesting.com Kiefer Tested Podcast. We thank them for joining us. You have a street bike, a dirt bike, 
or do you pedal? You have a mountain bike. Head over to 60helmets.com. Check out the full line of helmets they offer. I'm sure they have a helmet for you. Hey, I get questions all the time. Kiefer, what helmet would you choose if you could pick one to buy? If you're going to spend your own money, Kiefer, where are you going? While there are a lot of helmets that are safe out there, okay, I do feel the safest in a 6D helmet. I've had many crashes in my ATR1. I've had a couple in my ATR2, and it has done its job. It's advanced ODS technology. It's race-proven. I'm telling you guys. And it's light. The new ATR2, it comes in at 1,480 grams. It's fully rebuildable. Very cool colorways. I trust the guys over at 60 Helmets. Maybe you guys should too. Hit me up over at chris at keyforinktesting.com. Maybe get a special discount code if you want to get a 60. So please, guys, go check them out. 60 Helmets. Hit me up. Tell me how you like yours. And if you don't have one, maybe go get one. Thanks, 60. Have you guys checked out bloodlubricants.com? If you haven't, bludlubricants.com. Go check them out. Three new series of oils, Blood Power Sport Series, the Blood Racing Pro Series, and the Blood Racing Pro Elite Series. I have Michael Allen here with me. We've been doing two different types of oils in our test bike. Mike has been doing the Blood Power Sport Series. Everything going good there? Everything's going good. I use it in all our test bikes, the ones that I prep and maintain. And uh, it runs a little cooler than production oils. And uh, I know you've done some testing with that. Yeah, so basically before Jeff and the guys came on board, I had to check legitimacy of this stuff because um, I didn't want no crap involved in keyframe testing. Um, honestly, tried it. Was very surprised about the oil did some temperature readings it was a little over 30 degrees cooler in my yz450f compared to some other oils i've been running so the stuff is good they sponsor over 250 racers from enduro enduro cross hair scrambles utvs supercross now they got some supercross guys so go check them out bloodlubricants.com use the discount code kefer and get some percentage off your oils they'll ship them to you probably get a hat or two you know, Jeff's a good dude. Go check him out, bloodlubricants.com. Screenprintingdone.com. You guys looking to make up some shirts, hoodies, or hats with a logo on it? Or maybe you want a logo made up for your business and you want to transfer that over to some t-shirts? Go to screenprintingdone.com. Neil over there is a writer. He owns the company. He is a rad human being. And he is here to hook you guys up. Order 12 shirts and get 10 for free. They have all different kinds of shirts, hoodies, hats, different fabrics, all different kinds of stuff. Go hit them up, screenprintingdone.com. Tell them Kiefer sent you and get 10 free shirts. Be sure to say Kiefer. That's right, Kiefer and screenprintingdone.com. Go check them out. Thanks, Neil. Hey, Heather. Hey, Chris. Did you know that every two-stroke KTM and Husqvarna come with a Vertex piston in the engine from the factory? No, I did not. 65 years ago, Vertex piston was founded in a small technical workshop in northern Italy. Today, because of the renowned reputation for exceptional quality, Vertex is an OEM supplier to KTM, Husqvarna, and more exotic brands like Beta, Gas Gas, and TM. No matter which brand of bike you ride with, when it's time to go ride or time to rebuild your top end... Vertex Pistons will have your engine performing better than new. To see their full range of two-stroke and four-stroke pistons in replica, high-compression, or GP-style configurations, visit them at vertexpistons.com 
or stop in your local dealer and ask for a Vertex Piston Kit today. And if you guys want a discount code, hit me up, Chris, at KeeferInkTesting.com, and I've got one for you. Save some money. VertexPistons.com. Have you guys checked out FirepowerParts.com? Batteries, chains, now even oil. Do yourself a favor. Go to FirepowerParts.com. Check it out. If you have any questions, hit me up, Chris, at KeeferInkTesting.com, and we'll be there for you. Back to the show. A little bit about Ricky's bike, about the event. Stay tuned. It's going to be good. All right, so as you guys can see, there has been a lot of work done to this Honda CRF 450X. A lot of work. Better bike than I am rider, of course, and I was a little nervous to race it, but nonetheless, uh, we got on this thing on Saturday. I shook it down a little bit. I did a couple loops and just kind of felt it out. Man, this thing is fast. There's a lot of things that I noticed right away when I hopped on it. So what I noticed right away, me being very picky with my handlebar setup, Ricky's a taller guy. For being a taller guy, his bar, peg, and seat, rider triangle, is very comfortable. I'm 5'11", Ricky's 6'1", but he's super big. Like, he's a bigger guy. Like, I'm dick and ribs. Ricky's not. Ricky's thick. He's built like a like a linebacker in the NFL. So he runs a 996 twin wall, like you heard Johnny said. And where he puts his handlebars is in a very neutral position. I like that. It's more of a moto-style position. And, of course, his seat is not taller. It's standard height. I like that. And everything about his cockpit w- was very nice. I also noticed that the frame, I'm, I rode Ricky's bike at Dirt Rider Magazine on his old X. So when Honda had the old X frame, I rode his National Heron Hound winning bike. That thing was so comfortable to ride. It was like a couch. It was easy. It was plush. This new generation frame, this new X, is a little bit stiffer feeling. So of course, Johnny has to evolve this whole setting, and Kendall and Ricky haven't been riding enough to really evolve the setting. So I got on this bike, and I'm only 170 pounds. I'm riding with Ricky's suspension, obviously, backed out. I have backed out the compression because I knew it was going to be a little bit stiff. But I can feel a little bit of rigidity up near the head tube, just like the CRF450R. I explained this on my podcast before, how the Honda feels a little bit rigid. The X-Frame is obviously not as rigid as an R, but when you're going 70 miles an hour down these valleys or these sand washes, there's obviously imperfections underneath that dirt. There's little hidden rocks. There's uh, whoops. There's all kinds of things that can deflect. And going at speed, it does feel a little bit stiffer on initial impact. That's something that shocked me a little bit right when I got on the bike, but Once I rode it more, I got used to what the bike was doing. I started getting used to uh, going faster. Obviously, my eyes had to kind of adjust from what I'm used to. There's a lot of things involved for me not racing desert racing in a long time that I had to adjust to. I'm usually, you know, obviously I can see in motocross. I have ruts. I know what I'm hitting. I'm continuing to hit the same thing every lap. And uh, desert racing, guys, is a totally different animal. Holy shit, man. You have no idea where you're going. And and that, in saying that, when you don't know where you're going, you have to ride that fast. That's the difficult part, is hitting new terrain and going fast. I have to rely on markings and reading the terrain to really make myself get up to speed. So I did that Saturday, shook down the bike. It was, it was, uh, it was an experience. 
I kind of held it open. I uh, went 88 miles an hour down a dry lake bed. I thought that was pretty cool and uh, to try to get my eyes adjusted. But, man, during the whole race, straight up, like, this bike, three things I noticed that I love right away riding this bike. The motor feeling, the engine feeling that Johnny created, that those guys created with, with this spec is easy to ride. I'm going up these shale, gnarly, rocky uphills that are just loose and cobby and nasty and there's really no trail. I can put this thing in fourth gear and climb up this hill and just lug up. This thing has such good lugability. That's what I like to call it. There's so much rear wheel traction in fourth gear. Fourth gear seems odd to us moto guys, right? Well, fourth gear in the desert was like a dream come true. I use third gear a lot in moto, and I always say, hey, I always preach on third gear in moto, third gear in moto. Well, fourth gear in desert is like that. I have all this lugability. I have this power. It chugs along. It doesn't stall. I have rear wheel traction. The tire's not spinning. So the amount of power that this thing has in a, in a higher gear was amazing. So I basically stayed in third, fourth, fifth gear. Yes, fifth gear. I even told Johnny that when I was racing this thing. I go, hey, I found a gear that I'm really not used to. It's called fifth. And he's like, oh, that's cool. Uh, but there's six. I was like, damn. I guess I'll try that. So in the race, going up these valleys, they had us go up these valleys. I used six, and I was like, I feel like the terrain's giving me some leeway here. It's a little bit sandy. I don't see a lot of rocks, and you're going up this valley. Usually pretty safe when you're going up towards a valley. Not a lot of cross grain. So I go, let this thing eat, man. So six gear wide open. Dude, it, it's so easy to ride fast. That's what I like. Like It didn't scare me while I was racing. I got used to it about mile 15. I'm getting used to what the bike's doing. And the engine feeling is so easy. It's so nice to ride, and it's so fast. I'm like, what have I been doing all these years, like riding small bikes? It's so much easier to stay on top of the terrain slash whoops and rocks and things when you have a bigger engine and you can just haul ass. So I remember Larry Rossler saying to me back in the day when I worked for him at Stroker, he's like, never hit anything you could fly over. And I was like, okay. Well, I was thinking about that while I was racing. I was like, all right, don't hit anything I can fly over. So hauling ass up these valleys, six gear wide open was an experience. This thing was, it handled very nice. That initial rigidity and stiffness that I had on Saturday when I shook it down wasn't that apparent on Sunday when I was racing it, probably because I was hitting things faster. So the faster I rode this bike, the better it worked. Not shocking because Ricky's obviously a bigger dude. I'm riding with his suspension. And the harder I rode this thing with my weight, the better it worked. So I kind of figured that out about mile 15 to 20. So I started pushing it a little bit, and it worked well. For how heavy this thing is with obviously the moose tubes, the gas tank, the dampener, all these things, it feels planted to the ground. It's amazing to me how fast you can go and not get deflection when you have a steering dampener. I was thanking the Lord, thanking Johnny for this Scott steering dampener when it was all rocky. And let me tell you, that's all there was on this course. It's rock after rock. And I've raced desert races in my life, but I've never experienced so much rock in my life. Usually clubs put you in some rock and then dip you out. Well, these guys, instead of dipping you out, they dipped you in as much as they could. So 
Having the Scott steering dampener was great. It's easy to turn up and turn down. When I got some sandy stuff and some windy sand washes, I turned it down so I had some more steering ability. But when I got in this loose cobby shale rock, I turned that up. So never really experienced a Scott's dampener while racing. Man, I understand what everyone's talking about. I get it. You can haul ass through that loose, rocky stuff without deflection. Another thing that I noticed that might sound pretty lame to you off-road guys is moose tubes. Obviously, you guys are used to that. I'm used to having a rear moose, obviously, for moto, but being able to hit rocks and not having to be like, ooh, there's a sharp edge. Ooh, man, I got a pinch flat. Or It's just it's so easy. I can just plow over things, not worry. I still had enough traction. The Max's tires that we use, I've never really ran those out in the desert. We're very good. Uh, they didn't actually chunk up. I thought they would as much rock as there was out there. It didn't chunk up as much. And uh, just the overall experience of this bike was really eye-opening for me. It almost, almost, I say, it almost makes me want to go race more of these things with a good bike like that. I think it would be fun. So um, the thing that also I noticed, too, I'm used to having a lighter feeling 450. Obviously, we're at corners. Surprisingly enough, in these tight sand washes that they put us in, this Honda corners really well. I like that the fact that Ricky has enough holdup in his fork when you get to these G-outs and these what they call danger areas or these road crossings that is not a lot of pitching. When I get into these sand washes and they're kind of second gear, slower speeds, you have a lot of engine braking in the engine, obviously, because you're in a lower gear. I can simply come into these little berms, little sand washes, and not have a lot of pitching because Ricky's fork holds up well. I like that. The downside of that, it was a little bit stiffer feeling in these rock sections, but honestly, I don't think I was going fast enough through these sections to actually push the fork to its ability. Obviously, Ricky is way gnarlier than me in off-road, and I've been on trail rides with him where he just plows through these virgin areas not even knowing what's underneath the ground, and the bike just sticks and goes down. I'm not ready for all that yet. I need I need ruts or jumps. That's where I'm good at. So the fork held up really well. I mentioned the engine braking on this thing. This engine, love, like I mentioned, love to be ridden in a higher gear. I figured out late in the race that instead of in these sand washes, running second gear and trying to burn, you know, just slam in these berms and roll, you know, just rip them like a moto guy, I just cl- simply went to third gear. And lug these things right around. And the thing just chugs through these berms with less pitching. And the overall engine character was just happier in a higher gear. Uh, I know Johnny put an RX head on this thing. There's more juice. He said he added 10 horsepower to this engine. I think we had 57, 58 horsepower. Almost 60 horsepower in this bike. And off the bomb, man, it was faster than I want to go. But... The beauty of this whole package that I'm talking about with Ricky's bike is you can do all this stuff to your ex. That's what's bitching. Obviously, getting your um, your ECU box remapped, you know, unlocked, that's huge for the ex. That's first and foremost what you need to do. But the suspension mods and the engine things makes this thing a pleasure to ride. I'd love to have this bike to go trail ride. And I would love to spend more time on this machine just to go trail ride, have fun, get to know it better. I would love to get Bones to set me up with a set of suspension for my weight. I think that would help even more. And then maybe maybe down the road, 
get some chassis refinements to get a little bit more flex to calm that thing down a little bit. Because I know these guys are going Mach 10, and they want a bike that just feels planted and just sticks. But honestly, guys, the overall experience was better than I thought it was going to be on this bike. Because originally I thought, oh shit, it's Ricky's suspension, it's going to be stiff, I'm going to be deflecting everywhere. Well, the bike wasn't anything like that. It was a pleasure to ride, easy to ride. I got used to it right away. And let me tell you, I spent a Saturday, maybe a total of 35, 40 minutes on the bike. And then on Sunday, I rode the bomb five times. And then I just sent my way on the, to the tr- into the trail and onto the race. So it was a trial by fire, but as, as bad as I thought it was going to be, and it, it sounds horrible saying that, but it was really good. Like, I had a great time. I like uh, leaning over the bars like old school Danny Hamill style and just hauling ass down these these uh, single track trails that are leading down to the pit. I just, a lot of cool feelings came back to me, and, and I think it was all due to because I felt safe on the bike and the bike was so good. So I should have known better. Johnny obviously has been around a long time. He knows how to set up a bike. He's done many desert races. I've rode his older bikes, and they've all been great. So... Should have known better, but thanks to the guys over at JCR Honda for letting me do this. The bike is insane. I love it. Easy to start. Let me talk about the starting real quick before we move on to the race. The starting, I know Johnny's been working really hard for those guys to get the right battery and and the amperage and the volts to crank that sucker up right away so these guys get good starts. Dude, at the bomb, my bike started just fine. It started quick. I think I choked at the start and... Had my um, so I started in first gear, so I had my my clutch lever in, but I put a finger in between the grip and the lever, thinking, all right, I can just bam and take off when it starts. But I think I had the lever out a little bit too far, and it was starting to creep, so it was harder to crank over. And so I blew my start. That wasn't my fault. But um, Preston Campbell, Johnny's kid, was right next to me, and he was worse than me. So I think we both choked on the start. Shockingly enough. Uh, it works before the banner is up, and then when you actually have to do it, you choke. Yeah, so I I did that. So with saying that, I need to work on that part of my mental game, not choke my balls off when it's time to start a race. So I I need I need to get my my shit together, as my wife would say. One last thing I forgot about to tell you guys is the gearing situation here. We use stock gearing for this race. If you listen to Johnny talk in his interview, they felt like they had enough pulling power in the engine to use stock gearing. And sometimes when I race these desert races, these guys gear their bike up so tall that six gear is useless. I like that I was able to use six gear and this bike was pulling it. Sometimes I only could use fifth gear in other bikes that I've used out here and even just trail riding. Six gear was absolutely just doggy and boggy and just you'd have enough recovery. Well, this bike has enough recovery in six gear that I could just chug along. And if I needed to just pull that up a valley, six gear was right there. It was no problem. And like I said, guys, it's just a fun bike to ride. So if you guys are looking to do something stuff similar to your off-road Honda, your X, your RX, hit me up, chris at com. I can answer your questions and Hopefully get you in contact with someone over there so you can do the same modifications that Johnny Campbell Racing has. It's it's a 
I keep saying this, but it's just a I've I've ridden bikes in off road that have been really bad. So I can appreciate something when it's really good and this thing is really good. So hopefully in 2020 Ricky comes back to ride these National Hare and Hounds and proves that this bike is good or Kindle or maybe they'll hire someone new. You know, there's a lot of new talent coming up in the off-road world, so I'm sure Johnny has his eye on that. Uh, but thank you, Johnny. Thank you, JCR Honda. Thank you to all the guys who pitted for me out there. They're out there sitting, waiting an hour and a half for me to come around. And uh, it was a fun experience. So again, any questions about this bike, hit me up, chris at keyforinktesting.com, and we'll answer them for you. Okay, guys, so now that you got some information about the JCR Honda 450X, I'm going to talk to you guys about the event, what it's like to race in Heron Hound, some of the experiences that I've had, um, and also what I felt it was like to race this thing on Sunday. So let's just start this off. Saturday morning, I got my family. I love teaching my son. I love helping him learn more about what I was like when I was younger. So Heather, Aiden, and I, we left Saturday to meet Johnny out at Lucerne Valley at Camp Rock Road. I had sign up on Saturday. So we took the the Sprinter van out there, and I'm I'm talking about what I used to do when I was racing. And we get to the area where there's pits and there's uh, sign up, and there's in desert racing they have these pink arrows and they have ribbon. That's what we follow when we're racing these races. I used to tell them that I used to uh, <laughs> when I was younger, ten years old, my dad would race, and I would make my dad as we're leaving the the campground, I would steal or AKA help the the club remove the arrows and pink ribbon and I would take all of them home. I would try to collect as much as I could, take them home so when I got home, I could build myself a desert course out in my yard with arrows and pink ribbon and I would ride my bicycle around this course that I would make. And my dad would come home from work and he would see all these day glow arrows and pink ribbon all over hell in his yard and he would get so mad at me because I would screw up the yard that he just raked or weeded or whatever he did, and he would make me go out there and pick it all up. But I thought it was cool, and it made me think. I just said, hey, man, this is the things that I used to do. And I don't know if he grasps all of that yet. I mean, maybe the generation now is a little bit different, but I just wanted to know how much I was into dirt bikes, and I loved every aspect of it. For some reason, Dayglow Arrows and Peak Rimmon, I just loved it. I, just, I loved to build my own courses, and I thought one day I wanted to be Danny Hamill growing up, I just wanted to be an off-road racer. So uh, we get out there Saturday. What I like about desert racing is people. If there's one thing that I could just tell you guys and then say why you should go race one of these races is the people. They are willing to help you. They will give you whatever they have. They will. There is no attitude. It's like having a family that you never knew. You get out to these pits you know, you, you park your vehicle, and the people next to you, they become your family. Hey, what do you need? Need some water? You need this? Need chain lube? Da, 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 da. I was like, it's, it's insane how, how different it is compared to moto. You park next to someone, at least in California. I don't want to say everywhere, but at least in California, you park to someone. They don't even talk to you. They won't even look at you. They're like, whatever. But in off-road, they, they'll shake your hand. They'll look you in the eye. They'll introduce themselves. It's just a cool vibe. I love it. Everyone's willing to help. Um, we got out there Saturday, shook down the bike. I did an interview with Johnny. It was fun. I had a good time. I had Aiden bring a bike out so he could experience some of this. 
Saturday, the National Hare and Hound Association has a youth races, and they have a youth special youth courses that they build. So after they were done, me and my son, we went on the course so he could experience what I was about to do the next day. I taught him about the arrows, the danger markings, the ribbon, and we rode some of the course, and he actually liked it. He actually thought it was very fun. I took him up a rocky hill that he couldn't make. Uh, it was cool to have Jacob, Jacob Argybright, which congratulations on winning the National Hare and Hound Championship. He went riding with us on Saturday, and he crashed in front of Jacob. I know he felt kind of embarrassed, but nonetheless, he did good. He got to experience a little bit what desert racing is all about, and he wasn't hating on it, so I thought it was cool. And we got back to the truck, and he mentioned to me that he would like to do one of these things. So to have him say that to me, whew, I don't know if you guys are out there, but when you have kids, you get a little bit softer. You get, I call it being pussified. I got a little bit of pussified in me when I had Aiden. So uh, as you get older, you have kids, you get a little bit softer, and it really touched me that he thought he would want to try to do that. So I'm all about Aiden doing things that he wants to do, as long as it's not bad, right? I want my kid to stay out of trouble, and dirt bikes kept me out of trouble. So whatever it is that he wants to do, I'm, I'm all for it. So if he wants to try desert racing, I love it. You guys listening out there, if you haven't done a desert race, try it. Get your kid out there and try it. They have friendly youth courses. It's very easy to follow. They have people all over. Uh, it's safe, and it's fun for the whole family. You guys get to go camp, hang out. I don't know. I just think that's how I was raised. And a lot of these people that don't do this, I feel like you're missing out. So it was uh, it was a fun experience Saturday to have Aiden do all that stuff. I just wanted to mention that because uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in family, and that's how we grew up back in the day. So... I wanted to relay that to you guys out there. All right, Sunday morning came. The pit area slash finish was in a different spot than the start. So I had to meet Johnny Campbell on side of the highway. We jumped into his vehicle, and we took the bikes down to the start. And my wife and my buddy and my kid, they went to the pit to, to help Johnny's crew uh, pit me when I got there. So the start was at 10 a.m., and the bomb run, you guys are obviously listening to this. You're familiar with a bomb run. But what a bomb run is, it's a, it's a portion of the, the race where you could pre-run and practice your line, practice your start. Back in the day, they called it a bomb run because they used to light a bunch of tires on fire. And you would have to just haul ass to that point, And that's where the mark trail would start. They don't have that anymore, obviously. But that is the only section that we're allowed to pre-run and ride. So... We got up there, Preston, Johnny, and I tried to create a line, and uh, man, I was scared. Not going to lie, going that fast on terrain that I've never seen before is gnarly. Road crossings are gnarly. Luckily, the club did a great job on marking the, the road crossings so you're not cartwheeling across the desert. And of course, I'm, I'm safe as it is. I'm, I'm not looking to win a championship or races out here. I just wanted to ride and test this bike. Um, got my line down. And then what the club does before 10 a.m., they have a 9.45 start, or I'm sorry, 9.45 uh, riders meeting, and all of the riders get off their bike. And if, you, if you're in the desert, I told Preston Campbell this, it's crazy to me that you're in BFE, right? We're in the middle of nowhere, and there's 200, 300 people out in the middle of nowhere just riding dirt bikes. It's insane. It's insane to me that we all have the same idea, and we're 
in the middle of BFE doing this stuff. It's just crazy to me. It was surreal to me watching all these guys walk up towards this truck to listen to someone talk about what we're about to encounter. So we have our riders meeting. I wanted to mention this too. I want to give you the full experience because <laughs> I'm kind of a little emo that way. That I like to tell you guys this thing. So we have this riders meeting and they're like, all right, we have a, a guy in the back of the truck talking. There's an American flag standing up, you know, and hey, we're going to have the national anthem. So 10, 15 seconds go by. There's no national anthem. So they're like, oh, hey, we can't get the PA to work. So like, I'm like, okay. So I just start walking back. So I'm walking back towards my bike, which is, you know, an eighth of a mile back. So I'm taking a little jaunt back. I'm 50 to 100 feet back. And then I hear a rider start singing the national anthem. That proceeds to, to create a wave of everyone else singing the national anthem. So I stopped, turned around, and I'm about 100 feet back watching this. There is a group of riders around this truck. Everyone sings the national anthem and it was crazy. I got chills. It was one of those moments that I wish I had a camera or a video to see because you're out in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by this truck with a bunch of riders, and every single entrant was singing the national anthem. It was insane. And I thought to myself, moto, they don't do that. Where else in motorcycling does that happen, that all the riders sing the national anthem? I don't know, man. It was uh, it was very cool. It was a touching moment for me, and it kind of got me amped up to race. I was like, this is awesome. I love it. This is what makes desert racing so cool, the camaraderie, the people, the riders. It was a really cool feeling. So uh, I got the start. Didn't get a good start. Obviously, you guys heard that. About 30th, worked my way up uh, to about, I don't know, top 20. Can't see nothing. Lots of dust. I'm I'm in the back, so I'm just trying to cruise some of these guys pass me in the dust. I'm like, what are you guys doing? It's insane to me how fast these guys can go in the dust when they can't see. I'm like, I can't see, so how the hell you can see? They can't. Anyway, I find some clear air. I work my way up. The checkers are known to put on hard races. It's a national, right? So I'm thinking, okay, loop one should be mellow because it's a beginner novice loop. Those guys have to go through it, so I'm not going to be getting all this gnarly terrain. I, at one point, thought, Holy shit, am I on loop two right now? Because there was so much rock, and there was actually semi-technical things on this loop to warrant, man, beginners are going to have to ride this thing? It was, it was tough to fathom because I was like, wow, I'm having a little bit of a struggle on some sections. I can imagine what a beginner would be like on this thing. So the course loop one was filled with rocks. I can't even believe, I can't begin to tell you how much rock is out in this desert it was a challenging loop one, and I came into the pit thinking to myself, holy crap, it's going to be worse on loop two because obviously the beginners do not do loop two, so they're going to throw some gnarlier stuff in there, right? I come hauling ass to the pits, and let me tell you, there's no other better feeling in the world than when you're coming down the valley and you look across the valley two, three miles out, and you see the the rows of motorhomes, knowing that you're almost into the pit. You're like, oh, that is awesome. This is a good feeling. So you get a little bit more adrenaline. You haul ass. You're coming down the valley. I end up pitting. JCR guys did a kick-ass job giving me some water. My wife, obviously. Um, quick fill. The IMS quick fill thing is awesome. If you guys aren't familiar with it, you're a moto dude. 
It's basically a dry brake gas tank. They just slam it in, kind of like NASCAR. Your gas fills up in like 2.5 seconds. It's insane. I wish it was longer because I, I could have used the rest. But all I kept saying when I came to the pits is rocks. I never seen so many rocks in my life. I, all I kept saying was rocks. Lots of rocks. Lots of rocks. Like, like I was just dazed and confused. There's lots of rocks. I've never encountered so many rocky, gnarly, shaly, cobby, loose stuff in my life. I've raced National Hair and Hounds before. This thing was on another level so far, and I'm only on loop one. So going to loop two, I'm like, here we go. I better, I better be on it. I better get on it. Start bucking up, Kiefer. So go out to loop two, hauling ass out there, and... Uh, Going right out of the pit, about three, four miles out, they have you go up this gnarly mountain, just shale, no trail, just loose lava rock everywhere. And about, I don't know, a quarter way up this hill, at the corner of my right eye, I see just someone bare-assing me, just giving me the BA, just a white ass. Because I was going that direction, but that bare-ass scared me enough because I was out of nowhere. I'm like, holy shit. Anyway, it was one of, it was a, <laughs> it was one of my family longtime family friends um she was out there it was a she i didn't know at the time it was her until the finish but yeah she was out there just ba and me rooting me on that's how they do it in desert racing people to make you go faster they're gonna ba you so i got a nice white bare ass going up this mountain kind of screwed me up a little bit not gonna lie uh got my feet back on the pegs went up this huge mountain and uh proceeded to know that i was about to encounter a downhill because if you're up you got to come down right well, they did it, man. They had the gnarly single track downhill, the spine, and then it led you into a tight little sand wash that was no wider than three feet, and there was little ledges slash waterfalls on the way down it. Well, I proceeded to endo my way down those waterfalls and get my legs stuck and burn my pants right by my knee brace on the head pipe. So I managed to get that sucker back and running. I got passed by Johnny's kid, Preston. He had some trouble on the first loop, and I was like, okay, well, get my bearings back, calm my heart rate down, get going, and of course, there's a check mark right after this. They just laugh at you. You're like, yep, ha-ha, we just jacked you up, so very technical, very, but honestly, it was fun. It wasn't something like it was life or death. It's not like I'm riding you know, some hard enduro. There was just sections of it. They opened it back up. They gave you some break, but nonetheless... The key word for this National Heron Hound was rocks. You guys got to learn how to ride rocks. I learned on the fly. I haven't ridden rocks like this in a long time. I'm used to water tracks and groomed lips and all these things. And I was like, man, it's been a minute since I rode rocks. But this is the most rock I've ever ridden in my life. So continue on this second loop. Very challenging. I was out there. Seemed like forever. No lie. I didn't know whether to be pissed off or be happy. I'm I'm caught in this mental battle between like this got to be over soon or and it is fun out here. Like I couldn't get past which one I wanted to go to. So I decided, you know, I think I was getting a little tired, my body was getting fatigued, and that's the thing between moto and off-road guys. There's muscles that hurt on me today that usually do not hurt on me when I race moto. My triceps and my neck hurt today because I honestly don't think I sat down that much because there's so much rock and technical area that I stood up most of the day. And 
it was almost a three hour race for me, 90 miles. So <laughs> it's a lot of, I would say more physical work. And actually for me, I feel like more mental work because you have to concentrate so much in those technical areas for a longer period of time. With moto, I feel like I can relax a little bit more and concentrate. I was maybe because I wasn't as good at this as I am at moto that I had to concentrate more. But the loop went on. Uh, it got a little bit harder in sections. Another thing that's very cool about desert racing is that the check, these guys root you on. They mark your scorecard and they, they keep you pushing. It's, it's like a it's like going to a marathon where everyone claps for you and you're like, all right, you're at mile 12. Yeah, let's go. That's what it's like going these checks. They're stoked that you're there. They're stoked that you're doing it because honestly, if you finish this race, you're a badass straight up. I think there was a woman not too far behind me. That's gnarly. Dude, She, I like to meet that girl because she's gnarly. She rode some of these things. I was up on this ledge, on this ridge, and they had you go up these little straight-up cliff rock faces, and you don't have enough speed to kind of pop over them. You have these little bends in the trail, and right after these bends, you had these straight-up cliffs. I was like, dude. I didn't have time to think because I, I felt like if I tried to think about it, I would have got stuck. And man, if she made it up all that stuff, that's impressive. She's gnarly. So it was a tough course. Uh, I managed to finish 17th overall. I won the Vet A class, which is the Vet Expert class. Uh, I wasn't planning on winning anything, honestly. I, I came into this just wanting to go do this test, do this trail ride. And I never really pushed it hard for for me, I did, I wanted to keep it within my limits there. So to finish as well as I did, honestly, I, I I was happy with that. It's fun. I like pushing myself, and this this race helped me helped me in a lot of areas. Like for me, I told these guys last night. I go, I think it actually will help me in moto to get more aggressive in my moto because to me, this was tougher than racing a motocross race, at least at the local level, at the national. Motocross, it's gnarly. It's a different thing. But at least for me locally, racing this desert race helps me. I, I know that I can come to these local motocross races knowing that it's not going to be near as tough as what I just did. So mentally, that's a huge thing for me. I like that. That's good. And um, came in the finish line. Uh, something about desert racing I think is funny too. Like you just accomplished this huge feat. You're like, man, I just went over all this shit. I did this, all this. No one's out there looking at you. No one sees what's going on. I was telling my uh, my wife and my friend on the way home, I go, if you guys only knew what we just went through, no one knows. Like, there's no one out there besides the people at the ch these checks that know what you just went through. And it's just, it's a self-accomplished feeling coming into that finish line. And the only people that are there are your family. They, they're glad that you're back. They're like, all right, how was it? And I told my wife, I have to mentally calm down for 15 minutes because it's like, I guess it's like riding a street bike on the 91 freeway in California and splitting traffic for three hours. It's just you have to mentally just chill out because it's so mentally draining. And uh, there's not a big, there's not a lot of crowd. There's not a big crowd. There's not a lot of people there. There's not, you know, huge amount of fans. There's just families there for each rider. You pull in, you're like, hey, is anybody going to say yay? Nope. You come in, 
You pat yourself on the back. You did something really gnarly. Self-accomplished feeling. I honestly like that feeling more than having thousands of people cheer you on because to me it means more to have something like that. It's more like running a marathon or a triathlon. It's more. It's something like that. That's the feeling that I get. Um, came in the pit. You kind of download the race to your friends and family. It's a lot of bench racing and desert racing. You talk to the people that you saw on the trail that you battle with. And uh, it's just a cool vibe, man. It's a relaxed vibe. You load up and you go home. And the results are up. You see what you got. They have a podium for the classes. It, it's a laid-back event. It's chill. It's not that expensive to enter. And uh, it really teaches you mental fortitude. That's what I get out of desert racing. To me, I get a lot of mental toughness that I don't normally get in motocross. Motocross is a different type of tough. This is a whole nother level. And when you see guys in Heron Hounds and these rallies, look at Shorty, look at Ricky, how gnarly those dudes are mentally to do as much as they do, as fast as they do, while trying to read terrain. Reading terrain is hard. I explained that to my kid on the way up as we were driving to the desert race. I was talking to him about reading terrain, and he asked me, what am I talking about? And I pointed him into the desert, and we looked at the landscape of the desert. And I go, you see how the landscape changes from sand and starts to get rocky? When you race, you have to know when the landscape starts to give you different aspects of itself. And you could be in a sand dune one mile and then be in a bed of rock the next mile. You have to know when to back it down and wick it up. And those good guys that ride fast know how to do that well. It's insane how well they do that. So coming from a desert background, I kind of know how to do that semi-good. But these guys that win, such as Jacob and these dudes that are winning championships, know how to read that terrain very well. So... My experience, overall experience at the Heron Hound was, was awesome. I'm glad I did it. It took a little bit of pushing, but in some things in life, you need to be pushed into that direction to do it. And then once you do it, you appreciate it a lot more. I talked about this on another podcast. I guess you don't realize how much fun you're having until it's over and you can reflect. And that's kind of what I had to do when I was done. While I was doing it, I was suffering at points of the day a lot. But then once I got done, it was almost like a a cleansing. You're like, man, that was badass that I did all that. I rode that many miles, accomplished that, went over all that terrain, and did fairly well. So that's kind of what desert racing is all about. It's a self-accomplishment. You're with your family and friends. It's not You're not there at the bright lights and the notoriety. You're just there doing that because... You love dirt bikes. That's basically who I am. I can ride moto all my life, but I just love dirt bikes. I love motocross. I love off-road. I love anything that is encompasses dirt bikes. So if you guys haven't rode a National Heron Hound, do yourself a favor. Go try it. If you have any questions about doing these events, hit me up, chris at keyforingtesting.com. I am more than happy to help you and guide you. And I I may do one next year just for fun. I know Travis and Preston, Travis Preston and I have been talking about doing one. I want to do one again. I'd love to get him to do one. He's never done one. It'd be cool to get a Supercross champion out in the desert to experience that stuff. And uh, it'd be a <laughs> it'd be a hell of a story. Let me tell you, to have him do that, it'd be a hell of a story. So, thank you 
to the National Hare and Hound Association organizers. Thank you to the checkers. Thank you to JCR Honda. Thanks to my family. And thanks to all you fellow desert racers out there, man. It's uh, You guys are still out there doing it. What you guys did before the bomb was very cool, man. All, that's something I'll remember for the rest of my life. Those things right there is just mean something to me. It's just like awesome. I'm a huge people person. I love talking to people. I love meeting people. I love genuine good people, and I love dirt bike people, and desert racing encompasses all of that. So uh, I appreciate you opening your arms and welcoming me, and it was was an experience. It was a great time, and hopefully uh, you guys like this podcast, and maybe we'll do some more. If you guys like these off-road podcasts, hit me up. Tell me, good or bad. I'm down to listen. I like uh, hearing constructive criticism. I'm all about it, good or bad. So um, thank you guys for listening. Stay tuned. Later this week, we're going to finish our bracket 450MX bracket shootout. We're going to rank 456. That's been going on for a couple weeks. I've been busy, so I didn't forget about 456. It's called our B-Main. We're not even going to call it 456. We're going to call it B-Main event for the 450MX shootout. I'm going back to moto. Woo! See you guys.